theory or practice, it's a constant battle when you're teaching. I'm Dr. Joy Patterson, the Director of Educator Preparation at Governor State University and the College of Education. And I'm Dr. Amy Viaquia, Governor State University Assistant Professor of English Teacher Education. In teaching and learning, theory versus practice, Dr. Joy and I will duke it out over whether theory or practice wins the match. Yeah, I can't wait. So whether you're a teacher, an education leader, or looking to learn more about the field, you can hear from industry experts on education topics. We invite you to be the judge as we box it out. Stick around to find out who wins this week's match. Good morning, Dr. Amy. Good morning, Dr. Joy. How are you today? I'm good. I'm excited about our conversation today. I feel, I don't know, I feel a little conflicted about our conversation today that we're going to talk about, I would say that we're going to talk about assimilation. I know we'll expand it from there, but we're going to talk a little bit about assimilation today and I feel conflicted about it. It's something definitely that I can relate to. I often found myself as an African-American in a lot of white spaces. I did my undergraduate in biology. I did my grad, a graduate degree in, in the sciences. I was a school administrator in Glendale, Arizona. Only my family were the only people of color <laughs> at the school. And so I find myself in all these different white places and spaces, and you find yourself trying to fit in or trying to figure out how do I fit in in this space and trying to assimilate. So I feel conflicted a little bit because do you assimilate? Don't you assimilate? Who's pushing that? Quick story for you, Amy. <laughs> My mother was going to name me, this is the truth, Madam Butterfly. How do you like that for a name? I think that's regal. Okay, so how about you call me? I'm a professional. You call my office and I say, good morning. This is Madam Butterfly. That I might question just a little bit. Yeah, and so names are questionable. And I imagine if you saw my name on paper, you kind of assign some kind of description to what you're, you think I'm going to be. What do you think of if you saw my name on paper, Madam Butterfly, what goes through your mind before you even meet me? I am expecting a floral headband and flowing scarves and dress, I, I think. Right. So you have a mental picture in your mind. So depending on what our business is together, you may or may not want to meet me because maybe that look fits what you want or maybe it doesn't. And if that look that's in your mind doesn't fit what you're going after, hey, we may never even get a chance to meet and you wouldn't even know how great I am. Exactly. And we are going to talk about names today. And you mentioned assimilation. I have a different story about names. I mean, the last name, Viaclia. 
The thing about last names, though, we don't choose them. Not like first names, not like your mother might have chosen for you. But with last names, they're also important. They show uh, roots and heritage. It can be tiresome to always get a mispronounced name. It was really neat whenever I heard my son's name being announced. All the ball players' names were being announced at this tournament they played in last week. And they tried so hard to write down names phonetically. <laughs> there were a few times that it, well, the J's are silent. They weren't silent or they, it was very butchered. And here I would be walking over to the announcing booth. He said, oh, could you help me? He knew he had gotten it wrong. But when they announced his name correctly, our team cheered. It wasn't for the boy. It was for the pronunciation of the name. <laughs> it makes you feel valued when people take the time to learn how to pronounce a name correctly. And I remember just a few years ago, getting chided by a colleague who said, why are you okay with your students and other people calling you Dr. V? You're and I was going to ask you that. Is that okay? Or why are you okay with Dr. V? And what is your requirement? It stems from my middle school teaching days, really. It, my friends, colleagues, like, hey, V, and it was a, a neat, short greeting. I had friends who knew how to pronounce my name, but it was a term of endearment. And for my students, I would say, oh, you can call me Miss V. But it was always really treasured whenever students really tried to pronounce my name. But I will have to say that the principal over the intercom would announce, Miss V, you have a meeting in the front office? No one ever announced Viaclia. I'm very accustomed to that. And I do respond to Dr. V. I have no issue. I often sign my emails, especially subsequent emails to students. If we have corresponded back and forth sometimes, I'll just say Dr. V. And maybe that's right. Maybe that's wrong. I don't mind it, but maybe I should be doing a better job. Right, and let it be an education for others. So we can ask our guests. We're going to talk to Dr. Abiodun Durojaye, who was born in Lagos, Nigeria. She moved to the U.S. near Chicago with her parents and siblings at a young age with the hopes of creating a brighter future. Dr. Durojaye recently earned a doctorate degree in interdisciplinary leadership and higher education at Governor State University. Her dissertation is Naming in Higher Education, the Importance of Ethnic Name Use. She has served as the Director of Career Development and Employer Engagement for Ivy Tech Community College of Valparaiso and now as Executive Director of Career Services and Placement at National Lewis. Her work centers on working with employers to create career opportunities and helping students learn the skills they need to find a career path and navigate job hunting. So welcome to our podcast. 
Hi, good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Hi, Dr. Abiodun. Great to have you. I don't know if I'm excited because you're a GSU alum, so am I, also an employee, or because actually you're a Hoosier. I don't, <laughs> Amy and I are both Hoosiers. So also welcome to the Indiana area, albeit we work in Illinois. We are so happy to see you and talk to you today. Amy and I were just having a conversation about assimilation. I was telling her a story about my mother wanting to originally name me Madam Butterfly. <laughs> so you all can call me Madam Butterfly for the rest of this podcast, not afterwards. <laughs> and we were talking about Amy's name, Viaclia, her last name, Viaclia. Many people call her Dr. V as opposed to Viaclia because it's so much easier. Yeah. And all this pressure to assimilate. So my first question to you as an expert, because we were trying to decide, is that right? Is that wrong? Do we change our name? Should she be Dr. V? Should she be Dr. Viaclia? So where does that pressure come from? And what is your perception? Is it your perception, the person's perception, or is it the U.S. expectation? Is it both? That's a great question, Joy. I would say that, oh my God, expectations and pressures come from all over. They come from the U.S., they come from yourself, they come from the country in which you originate from, right? So you have, I'll give you an example. Most of my life, right, I went by Abby, 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 because it was easy and I didn't want to have the conversation and I didn't want to be bothered. So it was just like, just call me Abby, right? If it's going to get me in certain doors, I'm okay with it. But I wasn't really okay with it. And then you had family back home that had expectations and needs that also needed to be met, right? Even though they didn't want you to forget where you're from, they wanted you to fit in here so that they could also rip some of those benefits. And then you have the pressure on, on self, right? Like, I want to fit in. I have to make this work. I have to do this. So at this point, call me whatever you want to call me. Just call me something, right? So that I can have these opportunities. So I, I think that's a great question. I think that pressure comes from all over, which makes it very incredibly hard for the immigrant to be able to decide what is right. Well, tell us, you say you went by Abby for much of your life. Who is Abby? <laughs> Abby is someone that I created years ago, decades ago, in order to get to where I am now. And unfortunately, I had to create this alter ego almost because Abby is a very Western name. I wore my hair a certain way. I spoke a certain way. I didn't identify as Nigerian, right? If you saw me, I was just Black American. If you didn't see me, Abby is whoever you wanted it to be. So Abby was the person that I needed to be in this environment in order to get to where I really wanted to be now. So unfortunately, when I migrated into this country with my family, I couldn't automatically be Abiodo. I didn't have the education. I didn't have the privilege. I didn't have the education. I didn't have a lot of things behind me that I felt stood as a pillar to get me to where I am now. So I, I made up Abby. I wore, the, I wore the facade for many, many years. And when I got to a certain point in my education and professional career, I decided it was time to take my identity back, all of my identity back. 
including my birth name. Wow. So I looked up what Abby meant, and it's a primarily a gender neutral name of English origin that means joy of the father, short for Abigail. Yeah. Tell us about Abby O'Doon. Yes. And, it, you know, it's funny you said that short for Abigail. I remember going to get ice cream one time and a girl was like, oh, Abby, that's my niece's name. Is this short for Abigail? And I was just like, no. But I didn't want to engage in the conversation that Abby is short for Abiodun. Abiodun is from Western origins. That means literally Abiodun, who gave birth to a celebration. So anyone who bears that name, Abiodun, is oftentimes birthed during a time of festive period. Christmas, Easter, New Year, all those major holidays, that name Abiodun is associated with that. It means we gave birth during a festive period. My birthday is on Christmas. So when I tell people, oh, my name is Abiodun, they're automatically, especially people of Nigerian descent, they're automatically like, oh, when were you born? Right? It speaks greater volumes. And it's unfortunate that I had to mask it for so many years, but unfortunately, you got to do what you got to do. Right. And, and we're going to talk about that today. And I'm glad you, you know, so now we have something else in common. I am a New Year's baby. Okay. <laughs> I, I knew that I just have all these connections <laughs> to you and I love it. But when we talk about this, it really takes me back to thinking about slavery when African Americans were assigned names, right? Mm. The assigning of names was a way of stripping you from mm. your identity. And that's something that you did. You know, you wanted to put Abiodun aside, but it was a way of stripping you from one's formal identity and to assimilate to someone else's identity. So we still today, we take the slave mentality with us. I mean, this is deep in the U.S. And pro professional African-Americans in particular still fear a backlash when it comes to naming their children. I'm guilty of it. I know that I'm guilty of it. You know, is it right? Is it wrong? When I was naming my children, I chose very plain, basic names that didn't have ethnic associated with it. You know, Justin and Paige, how plain can you get? <laughs> I didn't want them to have any stigma where someone would look at their application and say, oh, no, this person is this. Oh, no, this. And we do that even unconsciously. We look at resumes. We try to figure out how old someone is, even if they don't put a date on there. We look at that bachelor's degree and then we count. We look at their name. We look at their address. And then we assign different characteristics. You know, I was telling Amy about me being Madam Butterfly and she had a picture in her mind about how I would look. Now, what you think I might look like as Madam Butterfly, depending on what you want to hire me for, maybe if you're hiring me for the kindergarten teacher, <laughs> you might be excited to call me and say, do you want to interview? But if you're hiring me for the college president, yeah. maybe not. So your name says a lot. But we miss a lot. And, and research has shown that people are not called in for interviews yeah. because of their names. Who's responsible? Are you responsible? Are we responsible in the workplace of making that shift where we don't as assign a character to someone based on their name? 
Yeah, no, that's a that's a great question. I recently presented at NACE, a NACE conference, and I remember asking a similar question. And I want to share a response that I got where a gentleman said, well, why not make it easier, right? If someone's calling you, why not make it easier and just answer the phone and say, good afternoon, this is Abiyadu, right? But should it be my responsibility? I already have a hard enough time being welcomed into this country, right? Immigrants already have enough time being welcomed into this country. So I think that as people, as employers, as businesses, as organizations, we have to create a space. But even before that, we have to check our own biases, because I think you said that. We all have these biases. So how do we build on diversity? How do we welcome people who are from all backgrounds, right? How do we give people a chance? When you call someone for a job interview and you say, you know, hello, good afternoon. I don't want to mess this name up. I'm excited to talk to you. Help me with your name, right? Like, how do you make that welcoming introduction? I think that that is huge. I think that the responsibility should be on business owners, employers, institutions, companies. It's really hard to put responsibility on immigrants or international students who come to this country for a better future, a better life, a better this, because they already have so many barriers, systemic barriers, institutional barriers that they over need to overcome. Names should not be one added one. Unfortunately, it is to your point, right? You see a name, Mohammed, something that you automatically assume that this person is from of Muslim descent. What does that mean to you, though? Why should that stop somebody's ability to get the work done? Whether you're Madam Butterfly or not, what, why should that stop your ability or the work that you have put in to get the work done? That is such a fascinating point. Who cares what the name is? You know, what kind of work does that person behind the name do? Yeah, it's important. It's really, really important. And oftentimes we don't, we have our own biases. I'm telling you, I'm hiring for a role now and I constantly have to check my bias. Joy said it, you look at year, you know, oh, did this person have enough? Well, what's their name? Oh, and would a man be really good in this? Like you have to constantly remind yourself, why am I doing this work? And who is this person in front of me? And look at the experience. So, I, you know, I, I challenge employers who are looking for candidates don't even look at the name. I think a system should be created where we just submit resumes, like as it's coming through, blank out the name and look at the experience and then call people truly based on those experiences, not based on whether they're male, female, Muslim, whatever the case may be. I love the idea of doing almost a the blind review. We submit journal mm. scripts in the same way so that the bias is mostly removed. And I think that's similar it can be true in the classroom as well. When we're grading papers, what happens when we have experience mm -hmm. with a particular student's work or attitude in the class or how they act, and then we're grading the paper? It's mm -hmm. hard to remove that personal connection that you have with, with people when you're looking at the material work. Yeah. You mentioned your presentation. I believe it was extension of your dissertation research, and you interviewed several first-generation Nigerians who had altered their ethnic name when they migrated to the U.S. I hope that you can tell us a little bit more about the themes you saw. You noted sense of belonging, microaggressions, and shame. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. 
those were the three main themes that came out of it, shame, microaggressions, and sense of belonging. I think the one that everyone automatically like presumes is sense of belonging. People change their name because they want to fit in, right? Like that's the number one one and that's accurate. People change their name because they want to fit in, they want to be accepted. But is that a right or is it a privilege? And in this instance, it became a privilege. To be accepted was not something that was guaranteed. It was a privilege. Microaggressions, subconscious, right? A microaggression is a subconscious behavior. People didn't even know that they were doing it. Oh, looking at the name and thinking, mm, I'm not even going, nope, I'm going to pass. I'm going to go on to the next one. And lastly, shame. Shame was so huge in the sense that people were not ashamed by their names because those names were powerful names. And all of my um, participants agreed that their names came from a place of power. They were ashamed or they were shamed by how they made people uncomfortable. Oh my God, Amy's gonna look at my name. She's gonna feel so, she's gonna be embarrassed by, I don't even wanna deal with it. So I was ashamed because of the feeling that I assumed that you were gonna have looking at my name. It's a really fascinating contrast if you think about it. I'm not ashamed that my name is Abiodo, no. What I am ashamed by is that people butcher my name constantly. I'm always a subject of attention in a negative way. I'm always receiving negative attention that I don't want. That brings me shame, right? And that's what a lot of the participants were saying. How did you make this transition, this journey back to becoming Abiel Doom? Oh, Joy, that's a very compound question. It took years of work. Again, Going by my birth given name was never a privilege. It was something I had to work for. It wasn't something that I was, I'm sorry, it was always, it always was like a privilege. It was never something that I felt like, you know, you guys walk around, Joy, Amy, that's, that's okay, that's a thing. You're going to call me by my name. Whereas every day I had to wake up and think, is this the right time to tell people to call me? I build them. No, nope, nope. I'm not in the educational, but I don't have power. I don't have power at work. Power plays a very significant role. Prior to me, years, years, years ago, prior to me receiving full naturalization, I wasn't a citizen. How dare I tell someone what to call me and I don't, I don't have documentation. I'm not a citizen. You, you going to call me whatever you want to call me at this point. So again, power, those power dynamics. And then I got to a place where I'm now in an executive director role. I've received my doctorate. What more can be asked of me? I've checked these boxes, right? It should now be time where I get to tell people what to call me. That's insane. That took, it took way too long, right? And my mission now is to give back to immigrants and international students so that they can start embracing their names early on from the moment of entry, as opposed to waiting they receive the degree or the comma PhD, EDD, master's, whatever, as opposed to waiting till they receive their naturalization papers. It took me way too long, but I finally felt in my mind, I had gotten to a place of educational satisfaction and professional power in order to be able to do so. And I like that you said your goal now is to teach them early. I mean, it's a gift. And your name in particular was a gift bestowed upon you and the meaning behind it. And it seems like you had to prove something in order to be able to feel comfortable to use your name. And now you're sharing with younger women, this is a gift. You don't have 
to have all the accolades to mm-hmm. be your authentic self. And I imagine that's difficult. One of the things that you talked about is shame. And shame can impact us in so many ways. I recall my husband working in the Pullman district and 99% free reduced lunch. And he used to cut hair on Fridays, take about a dozen boys. And that shame of how they looked or how they felt about themselves, it will keep you from raising your hand. It will keep you from asking questions. It will keep you from excelling. So that shame can really hold you back. You know, and that's why I think about whose job is it? Because if that shame is holding you back, it's really systemic. It's really a societal challenge of holding people back based on names, based on ethnicity, based on all of these characters that they assign to you, based on very, very little information. That's a real thing. And I think that you're absolutely right. Because you mentioned being authentic. Authenticity is a privilege. Not everybody has the right to walk into an office, an employer, and be who they want to be. Let's just call a spade a spade. That may rub people the wrong way. Even the organizations and institutions that have the best mission and vision for this DEI work. Again, I say check your biases. Authenticity is a privilege. You don't get to walk into certain spaces and be your whole culturally authentic self. So as employers, as department heads, as people, how do we create space where people can be culturally authentic and it be okay? The idea that authenticity is a privilege is really mind-blowing to me. I'm wanting to dig deeper into some kind of how and why, especially maybe in future conversations. Right now, I want to say that we are speaking to Dr. Abiodun Durajaye. We're talking about names and the significance of owning and using your name. It's a gift. Mm. And we've talked about my last name, but that's not a chosen name. We're talking about owning and using those first names that have been gifted to us by the person who named us. Yeah, it's respect. I was disrespecting my parents, my culture, my heritage for the last 20 some years because I just chose to go by Abby. But I had that disrespect was for me to gain certain things in in a space that I wasn't aware of. I'm telling you, when you think about being authentic, right? Like for some people, authenticity is a natural thing. There are probably people who belong to the majority group. It's unfortunate, but you know, you see a lot of people who migrate to this country. You don't get to just walk in and be authentic. It's not welcomed. So again, I always say, What work do you have to do? What work do we have to do to make sure that for the next generation and the next group of people that come in, this thing called cultural authenticity is a real thing. Being your name, eating your ethnic food. I have coworkers that play Pandora and they play country and they do this, but I should be able to play my own Western jams, Western African reggaeton, whatever I want without getting questions or without feeling uncomfortable, things like that. 
And as educators and teacher educators, we're going to go down a path here on both the student side and the educator side. But Mm -hmm. first I want to ask on the student side, what is your opinion on how a student or a, a colleague really too should respond to the mispronunciation of a name? Mm. I think being an advocate is key. I have a colleague who's always like, wait, I'd be able to say how you say your name, right? Because oftentimes, like Joy had mentioned, that shame and not having that power, when people call you by something else, makes you silent. You don't speak up for yourself, right? I've, I've been abdomen, Aberdeen, I've been everything. And I never spoke up for myself. So it's always good to have allies, right? People in the classroom, students, um, colleagues to say, hey, like, is, is that how you say your name? Say it again, like being open and honest about learning. And on, on the flip side, even for people who migrate into this country, one thing I did not do well was educate. I always felt like I was, I was ready to attack because often, where are you from, right? Like, where's your name from? that reminded me that I never belonged. If you're saying, where are you from? You're telling me, well, you're not in this circle, so where are you from? And automatically, my reaction was, what do you mean, right? I don't wanna talk about it. What's Abby short for? Or it's, it's nothing. So as immigrants and international students, it's important to be in a position to educate and to say, well, no, no, that's not how you say my name. I'll be other, let me tell you about where it's from. And to be open and about having those conversations several times a day, right? If you want to make change, you have to be open about having conversations about where your name is from, how to say it, and embracing the good side. And for students, colleagues, and coworkers, always being an advocate and an ally, understanding how power and position play and why someone may remain silent when their name is not pronounced correctly. Right. This is certainly an education for me. And I can imagine now when people say, where are you from? The other way of looking at this is that I add to the diversity of this mix instead of feeling attacked of now seeing it as a gift. Where I'm from adds to the mix. It adds to the diversity of this group. It's a great thing of where I'm from, but it really still strikes as fear. And I'm guilty of this. When my daughter had children, I said, here are the rules for naming your child. You and your husband can name your child anything that you want, but it cannot have more than two syllables and it cannot end in an A. And then they broke all the rules. And I felt like this was an attack, a personal attack against me. Like, why would you do that? Why would you do this to your child? Why would you impact your child this way? Like, these are the rules. I gave you simple rules and you didn't follow them. And that was out of sincere fear for their child and opportunity, as you said, instead of a broader opportunity and an opportunity to educate people, which you now do. So how do you help girls now to be their authentic, true selves now that you've experienced this journey? What do you say to 10-year-old Abiyadun? That's, again, another good question. So I work with a group of immigrant girls right now, and and I want to preface this by saying ethnic name is just a peel 
off the onion. We haven't talked about the language barrier, the accents. There's like numerous things. You can hide your name, but then you open your mouth and people hear the accent. That's a different layer. That's something completely different. So I work with girls, young girls, future leaders, and just encourage them to be their whole selves, but also giving them skills on how to navigate the education system. And most of the the young ladies that I work with are fourth grade, I would say through high school. So how to navigate that space, how to have conversations with people, how to check people professionally, right? When they say your name incorrectly, how to take back the power, how to take back your name. I work with my own daughters. I have three daughters. When someone asks you who your name is, don't give them the shortened version. If they say, huh, or what, tell them again. I've had people ask them, well, what's the nickname? Say, I don't have a nickname. What's your nickname? So how do you have those conversations? I work with those young girls on how to start early in thinking about what you need to put on your resume. What are those skills? How to volunteer. We do volunteer work. How to build those things to try to put you ahead of the game because again coming in to this country the name the accent the clothing right a lot of things are different how do you use those differences as power how do you use those differences as a bonus as opposed to not looking at it as something that can exclude you but something that sets you apart in a way that makes you more desirable wow that's powerful my former university i was the provost and I had the honored opportunity in graduation at the ceremony reading the names of each graduate. <laughs> that is a difficult task when you have three, five hundred students, very diverse body of students, and you have to read their last names. So I would get there early and I would go to each of their seats to try to find out, you know, if I was going to have difficulty, how do I say your name? It's important to those families. And Amy, we were talking about this earlier. Amy, you guys were applauding, not that your son was being recognized, but they said his name correctly. (laughs) So it's important to that family to know that you're respecting them enough to say the name correctly. And I think it does show respect when you take the time to learn how to pronounce a name. And so... What would you say to educators at every level? I mean, because we all get a new roster of students every semester. What do you say to them when they might have difficulty pronouncing a name? And sometimes we shy away from it, and I may call you by your first name, but then, or Amy by her first name, because I don't want to say her last name, but then I call you by your last name. Things are not even in the classroom. Mm -hmm. What do you say to educators about when you encounter students and you're having these difficulties? Yeah, I think that my advice would be dependent on what grade level we're talking about. Because you have that K through 12, very sensitive, younger population, still molding, still getting to know. So for teachers who are working with the younger students, I would say, be innovative, be creative. You have a classroom of third graders and there's one or two names on there that you don't know how to say, go around and say, we're going to have everyone introduce themselves, tell us something. And when it comes to a name, right? Like, say, oh my God, Abiano, that's such a pretty name. Tell us where you're from, right? Like make it something where you celebrate the diversity in your classroom. 
as you get older, where your senior year, college, it may not, it may not be as easy, right? But example is what you just did. I'm gonna go around, I'm gonna be intentional. I'm gonna find out how to say people's names. But I think that being innovative and creative and embracing those differences without excluding, right, is so important. It's so important for teachers. I think it's important to be mindful about the diversity in the classroom, have students introduce themselves, celebrate the differences, um, say one fun fact about you, do that and have everyone pronounce that name, right? Do that till it becomes a habit and automatically don't ask for a nickname. I'm telling you, I've had teachers automatically ask me for a nickname. That is not acceptable. That is a sign that you are telling me that you don't respect me enough to attempt to call me by my name, that you want to automatically impose your power on me by giving me a nickname. And think about the implications of that on a younger version of me, right? I was in the fifth grade when I was asked, well, do you have a nickname? I was in the fifth grade. And from then on, I did. I created one and I went by it for the next 20 some years of my life because of that experience in the fifth grade. Our words are so powerful and impactful. We've got to be careful. Yeah. yeah. Whenever we are looking at a roster and had many experiences with maybe a Nicholas who I have in my own household and he goes by Nick. So always asking, what is your preferred hmm. name or your preferred title? Or what do you want to be called? What's power back, I think, to the student rather than assuming they do want to be called something that is shortened or diminutive of their own given name. And it's also important to think about space. Amy, I think that that's great. I think you have to think about space because fifth grader me being asked, what do I want to be called or what a preferred name is in front of a classroom? I would have told you Abby because I'm embarrassed, right? Like, what do you want me to say? But having that conversation or calling me Abiodo, 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 and then maybe having a separate conversation say, hey, you know, I noticed I've been calling you Abiodo. Are you good with that? Like, I love that name, but if there's anything else you want me to call you, you let me know, right? Like, that's so different because I'm telling you, depending on the age of the uh, student and what grade they're in, that teacher has the power to deter and change the future just by the words, right? Like this teacher took away so much from me because she asked me, did I have a nickname? And at that moment, not having documentation at the time, sitting in this classroom and looking, it was easy to say, call me Abby. Because what did you want me to say? What did you want me to say? 10-year-old me, what did you want me to say? Talk about power. I wonder how many people you have empowered, and I'm just thinking about this, how many people you have empowered to take back their name? Do you ever think about that, of how many people <laughs> you actually empowered to take back their name? I appreciate this platform more than you both know. Because this is how I get to have those conversations and I, I talk about it at work. I'll tell you, I was featured in a local magazine here in Northwest Indiana, Woman to Woman. And there was a call, right? It was based on my dissertation topic. And she was like, I want to talk to other people. And I said, sure. And instead of going back to people that I had used in my dissertation, I decided to do an open call for students. 
And I said at the current college that I work with, and I put the ad out and I said, hey, students who have ethnic names or black sounding names and go by a different name, let's talk. And I remember particularly a student coming up and she went by her middle name. And I said, well, why? She said, well, because they can't pronounce my first name. I said, but is that name for them or for you? And she did the interview and I remember in there, it said, well, what, what made you take back your name? And she was like, well, Miss Abiodun did because we met him. And, and since that moment, she has decided to go. It was, it was funny because it was such a short conversation. It could be something as small as validation. I see you. I've been there. We can do this. I got you. I'm going to learn it. <laughs> That's all the validation that she needed. That was it. I love it. You are definitely having an impact. I think that the work that you're doing is so very important. I really looked forward to today of getting to know you better. I put things out there that I was guilty of. I'm actually impacted and changed as a result of your story and talking to you. I thank you from the bottom of my heart. My daughter probably thanks you too. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I do. Because we need to get to a place where we're comfortable with ourselves, with our true selves, and to be able to share that and let that be an education for others. I love it. And again, thank you, right? Like, I think it's important to have these conversations in an open space, in a place of love. I think it's important to think, again, I'm always like, be able to check your bias. Check, I check my bias every day, twice a day, three times a day. I am currently doing this work as a first-generation immigrant. I owe it to my children. I owe, I owe it to my children's children. I did not give them American names. Darren Sola, Fienfolua, Ilerio Lua. Three different meanings, and they will tell you those are their names. My hope is that when they have their own children, they pass down that culture and that legacy because that's what it is. Our names are legacies. That's what we leave behind. The body is not there, but the name goes on forever. Before we end today, and I want to say I too have been educated and I hope our listeners have taken with them the love that you are spreading today. The last question I have though, who is Fabio Dune today? Yeah, today. Abiodun is a proud Nigerian, 100%, a proud wife, proud and loving mother. I am an educator. I am a motivator. I'm a child of God. I think it's important to say that. Most importantly, Abiodun is finally comfortable in her own skin. I love the skin that I'm in. I wouldn't have it any other way. I've embraced the struggles. I know that more struggles will come, but I embrace that. The person that I am today is definitely different than the person I was 20-some years ago as Abby. Abiano gets to rock these curls that you see and be unapologetically Nigerian, right? I am unapologetic about my name. I'm unapologetic about my skin. I'm unapologetic about the fact that I speak multiple languages. I love to travel. We leave for Nigeria in just five days. I'm taking my my girls back to the roots to see where they come from. I'm unapologetic about my life right now and I have no regrets. You are amazing. I really hope we can have follow-up future conversations. I want to dig further into the research you did and the 
in the expanded research that you did with the call to the students. Um, this is fascinating. I would love to do the same kind of work in our own university. So thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you both so much for having me. Keep doing the work that you're doing. I think it's so impressive. And you're women. So I, I different kind of love for that, right? Like I think as women, we also have to support the work that we do. And thank you both from the bottom of my heart for having me today. Thank you for listening to Teaching and Learning Theory versus Practice with Dr. Amy Viaclia and Dr. Joy Patterson. We hope that you have been inspired by this conversation and will join us again as we talk about trends in education and perspectives on teaching. We welcome your comments and feedback. What conversations are you interested in hearing? We'll leave it up to you, our listeners. Did theory or practice win the match? I think it was theory probably this time uh practice until next time we're dr amy and dr joy <laughs>